Good morning, church family. I'm so excited to be with you today in this context of preaching and teaching and sharing the Word of God. First and foremost, thank you to my pastor, Pastor Peter, for the opportunity. Uh, I don't take it lightly, and I'm grateful for you, my brother. Uh, thank you to the staff, my brothers and sisters, for your constant encouragement and your prayers, your love, and your support. And uh, lastly, thank you to my church family. Thank you for trusting the God in me, the Holy Spirit, to speak through me today. I pray, pray, pray that uh, something that is said today within you is stirred to action, uh, to a place of reflection, and then ultimately to a place of obedience and growth. So uh, today I've been asked to speak on fasting and prayer. And if you know me, you know that these are arguably two of my favorite subjects, two of my favorite things to talk about outside of worship. I love worship because that's who I am. I'm a worshiper. Uh, but those two things are born out of that. That is also an act of worship. And, uh, and I was asked, not because I am a, um, an authority or uh, some sort of professional on either one of these, but I do know the supernatural power of them when they are done together. Uh, I can tell you that when you fast and you pray, when these two things are practiced at the same time, you can expect God to speak in ways you've never heard him before. You can expect God to move in your life in ways you've never felt before. And you can expect to have your spiritual life turned upside down, literally. So for those who uh, maybe haven't fasted before, I'm sure that we have some folks who probably feel a little bit funny by it, maybe are about it. Maybe there are some folks who are just not comfortable with it. And then there probably are some folks who just don't believe in fasting. And that's okay. That is okay. But um, let me be clear when I say that the Spirit is very clear and that the Word is very clear when it speaks about fasting. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we heard in Matthew 6, where the Word says, when you fast and pray, not if, but when you fast and pray. And so there's a reason why the Lord has given us this command, because He wants us to sacrifice, He wants us to deny ourselves, and ultimately He wants us to follow Him. Amen? Amen. Uh, sure, I'm, I, I won't get an amen in here, but I'm sure that you are saying amen at home. So, church, this is a perfect time to talk about fasting with our current sermon series. The Lord has been speaking to us powerfully these past couple of months on how to pray, in addition to calling us to what we call a dedicated prayer life, a deeper prayer life, a committed prayer life. We've also been challenged to live prayerfully for 40 days during this upcoming Lenten season. And let me just say this one thing about prayer and our church. So I've been championing the cause of prayer for the last three or four years in our church. I want to become a, a praying church, a praying community. A praying. And it seems to me that the one thing that the Bible is very clear about, we want to do the least. Hello, somebody. We cannot do that anymore. That's why the Lord is speaking to us so powerfully about prayer right now. Hear me when I say this. The reason why the Lord is teaching us to pray, thank you for that title, Pastor, not only because the Lord is calling our staff and leaders to a deeper level of commitment within our respective roles and ministries, but he's also calling all of us to that place. We are all being challenged in this season. If you've had a conversation with me over the last few months, you've heard me say once or maybe even a hundred times, the Lord is doing something in our church. And I am not the only one who thinks that. I'm not the only one who senses that. I'm not the only one who knows that. 
The Lord is moving powerfully in new community right now. There's a reason why he's been talking about spiritual warfare, the unseen battle, putting on the whole armor of God, teaching us to pray, and now showing us what fasting can do when we marry it to prayer. What does all of this mean? All of this means is we're being tested and we're being called to a place that we've never been before as a church. That song, Oceans, we love the song, Oceans, right? There's that beautiful bridge that says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the water wherever you may call me. Beautiful melody, beautiful lyrics. We've heard people sing it here beautifully. But are we ready to trust the Spirit to take us to a place that we've not been before? I know I am. Are you? So let's go. Let's talk about it. Plain and simple, the Lord wants more. And it's time we ask ourselves, am I willing to give more? And moreover, am I willing to sacrifice for more of him? We'll find that out today. So if you've never, ever fasted before, I pray that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit would open your understanding and that your heart would hear and that you will obey. So there's that hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And God, we decree and we declare today that you are that rock, Jesus. You are the one that we can stand on. You are the strong tower that we can run to, that we are safe. And God, we thank you that your word is infallible and that it's perfect and that it's flawless and that we can stand on it. Would you bind these words and these truths into our hearts today? Would you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit today, O oh God? Move in every single home. Stir us to a place of action. Surrender and ultimate obedience. We honor you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen and amen. So I want to start by giving you three main points on what fasting is, along with some scriptures for those who like to jot things down, and then some references to point to. And then after that, I'll make a few practical points. We'll share a bit, and then I'm going to let you go to your Super Bowl Sunday. Go Chiefs. Sorry, Pastor Peter, I can't give that to you. Uh, <laughs> now let's get into the biblical reasons why we fast. Actually, let me say this. Point number one, first and foremost, I know that some of you want to know what is fasting. Simply put, fasting is when Christians eliminate foods or something else from their daily life or diet for a particular amount of time to focus only on the Lord, prayer, and scripture. That's the simple version of what fast is. My first point, fasting is the willful abstaining from natural pleasures for a spiritual purpose. I'll say that again. Fasting is the willful abstaining from natural pleasures for a spiritual purpose. Now, I know some of us have been asking already, God, do I really need to sacrifice some things to get closer to you? The short and the long answer is yes, full stop, period. Yes. God wants us to sacrifice to get closer to him. That's part of it. Because when we were born, we were born into a sinful nature, into a sinful world, okay? And although all those sins were nailed to that old rugged cross, and they were, God still gave us free will and free choice. And try as we may, our will, unless it comes under the rule and reign of Christ, will not come subject to the Spirit of God. It cannot. It will, not. It will fight it tooth and nail. This is what Romans 8, 5, and 8 says, and it's so good. Listen to the Word of God. 
Those who live as, hum as human nature tells them to have their minds controlled by what hu the human nature wants. That's the flesh. Those who live as the Spirit tells them to have their minds controlled by what the Spirit wants. That's the Spirit of God. Verse 6, to be controlled by human nature results in death, sometimes spiritually and naturally, depending on where you are. To be controlled by the Spirit results in life and peace. Praise God. He said that I, have, I, I come that you have life and have it more abundantly. Verse 7, and so people become enemies of God when they are controlled by their human nature. Again, their flesh. For they do not obey God's law, and in fact, they cannot obey. Get that piece. They cannot obey. Those who obey their human nature cannot please God. Period. Okay? Romans is very clear here about our spiritual desires versus our natural desires. The truth is, as much as we desire to follow Christ, as much as we want to follow him and be in his presence, our will will fight that every single time. The Bible says that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There is a battle going on in the heavenlies right now over our very souls. That is the battle that is happening, that is raging. And the Bible is clear that no flesh can tarry in his sight at all. However, when we begin to pray and ask the Lord to change our will to his will, to increase our capacity for him, to read our word more, etc. Trust me when I say we'll see a change. A change begins to happen. You see, when we begin to fast and our spirit becomes subject to the will of God, obedience is no longer a choice. It becomes instinctive at that point. Let me say that again. When we begin to fast and our spirit becomes subject to the will of God, obedience is no longer a choice. It becomes instinctive. The thou shalt not becomes the I will not, right? Like, that's true. My baby gave that one to me. Thank you. <laughs> Look, let's talk about what happens when we give into our flesh and we do not submit to God's will. Many of us would struggle with the same issues for a very long time. And I'm just going to list a few. Some of y'all have a lion spirit. There's a spirit of pornography. There's a spirit of promiscuity. There's a spirit of drinking, pride, lust, anger, control. The list goes on and on and on. Some of us have angry spirits, like just mad for no reason at all. Like the slightest thing, you just pop off for no reason at all. You can be delivered from that, by the way. You don't have to be mad all the time. And the truth is, we're exhausted. We're exhausted. I've been there before. That will wear you out. I'm almost willing to bet, though, at some point, God in his infinite grace and mercy has said to you, you don't have to live like that anymore. We don't have to live like that. I'm sure. And then, and then hear me when I say this. See, sin has a way of settling in, so to speak, if it's not dealt with every time temptation comes. There's a verse in James 1 and 15, a very, uh, I'm sorry, a very famous passage of scripture that speaks to this. The New King James Version says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full blown, gives, uh, gives birth to death, gives way to death. There's a different translation that I like in the Message Bible, it pulls no punches, and it says this. Don't let anyone under pressure give in to evil and say, God is trying to trip me up. Mm. No, God is not trying to trip you up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give into evil comes from us and only us. 
We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust and desire. Then the word goes on to say, lust gets pregnant and has a baby named Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and it becomes the real killer. That's a hard word, but it's the truth. That's what sin will do to you. Sin will ultimately take you out because the Bible says that the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But then he said, I've come that you might have life and you have it in the full. See, some of us have been playing with sin for a long time, knowing that it's wrong, not wanting to let it go. And over time, these strongholds have been set up and they become a natural part of our lives. Now, they, they become so fortified within us that we can't break or destroy them. We pray, we cry, we ask the Lord to, to remove these things, but the Bible is clear when it says only certain things come by fasting and praying. That's, that's the thing, fasting and praying. How do I know this? How do I know this? Because I've lived this. So some of you know my story, some of you don't. If you want to know it, you know, reach out to me, text me, uh, Snapchat me. I don't have Snapchat. I don't have Snapchat. Reach out to me. But the truth is, at one time, I had a lying spirit, a spirit of fornication, a spirit of promiscuity, a, 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 um, a sexual appetite that was just voracious. I mean, and I know that some of you are probably thinking, like, I had no idea about that with CC. But the Bible says that if any man be in, in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away, and it's a brand new CC, right? I mean, because that's what the Lord will do. He will clean you up so well that you will have no idea. But that starts on the inside. And I had to fast and pray for years to get that spirit off me. And let me tell you something. Do you think that the devil is going to let up? Still comes after me. Still, Paul says, I die daily. We have to kill this flesh daily. It is a fight until Jesus returns or he takes us home, whichever happens first, y'all. We have to stay in the fight. Let me make my second point. Let's keep moving. Fasting is personal commitment to renounce the natural to invoke the spiritual. Let me say that again. Fasting is a personal commitment to renounce the natural to invoke or call upon the spiritual. When fasting and praying, there is a deep desire for us to be closer to God. It will draw us closer to God. We will do whatever we can to hear his voice. This includes denying and renouncing our natural wants. This is especially true when we have prayers and petitions before the Lord. How many of us have some prayers before the Lord that we've been hanging on to for a long time? Very long time. This was the prophet Daniel. Daniel was a praying and fasting giant. Thank you, Sarah Chow. I'm going to give you a shout out right now because in prayer, she talked about the scripture and I absolutely loved it. Daniel 9, 3 and 19. So let me set it up a bit. Israel's in exile, Jerusalem all over the place, and Daniel is pleading with the Lord on behalf of an entire nation. Verse 3, so I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by praying and pleading with fasting sackcloth and ashes. Then we skip down to verse 19. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. What was Daniel doing here? Daniel had a purposeful prayer. Daniel was doing all that he could to get God's attention. 
Daniel's attitude and his posture in prayer was like, I am pleading for an entire nation, God, and I need you to hear me. I loved another version that says, I set my face toward the Lord God, and I made my request and prayer and supplications. And sometimes it takes all of that for God to move. God says, I want to see if you are absolutely serious about what you're asking me for. Spend some real time in prayer. Y'all, that's what we're learning to do right now. And so grateful about it. Daniel left nothing out of his prayer life. He used every ounce of power that he could. This, my friends, is what we call the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, because that's who Daniel was. Daniel was interceding for an entire nation and was crying out for mercy on their behalf. Can I tell you that when we fast and pray with the right heart, with the right motives, we can actually move the heart of God? That happens. We can actually move the heart of God and save an entire nation. We're going to see that with Brother Moses in just a minute. Look, y'all, we have the same power. Literally, we have the same power. When Jesus left and said, hey, y'all, I'm going to send y'all a comforter to teach, lead, guide you in all things. That is the power of the Holy Spirit that we also possess. Don't think for a second that we cannot do these same things. Let me point this out. The fasting sackcloth and ashes piece also portrayed Daniel's attitude and his posture in prayer. That's an important point here because when we come to God with the right heart, the right motive, the right posture, God hears that. Listen, Daniel's attitude was more important than his words. Our attitude has to be more important than our words. God is not looking for eloquent words. He's not looking for, you know, sonnets and speech. Oh, God. He's not looking for all that. He's just looking for a real heart. That's it. I just want real hearts. Just simple prayers. God is looking for humble hearts, broken spirits, and contrite, like contrition, real contrition. Not only did Daniel have the right posture and heart and attitude, but he had some real power in his prayer. If you read further on in that, uh, in that chapter, verses 20 to 22, we see that God sent the angel Gabriel to give Daniel an answer and to give him some instructions. And here's the thing. That's what happens when we fast. We hear from God in ways that we've never heard him before. God gives us uh, instructions. God gives us insight. God lets us know exactly what it is that we need to do. Daniel trusted God. God trusted Daniel. They had a relationship. Real relationships are based on what? Trust. Plain and simple. Can God trust you? I'm going to put that question to, to us today. How much do we trust God? I'll give you a second. The other question is, how much do we think we trust God this morning? That's an even better question. The truth is, you can only trust him as much as you know him. You can only trust him as much as you know him. And the problem with that is, many of us haven't spent any real time with him or in his word. So you can't take him at his word because you've not been reading it and you don't know him. Right? You see, our interactions are limited, thereby limiting our faith and ultimately what he can do. Let me say that again. You see, our interactions are limited, thereby limiting our faith and ultimately what we believe he can do. God wants us to get to know him. And the very best way to do that is to pray and to fast and to spend real time in his presence. That's the only way that we're going to get to know God. I'm going to put this challenge to each of us. During this season of Lent, spend some real time in God's presence. Take 40 days. Take the entire 40 days. Go beyond if the Spirit has you to. 
But take this time to spend real time in God's presence. Turn off the TV, get rid of the social media, and just sit with God. Just rest in his presence. Because the truth is, that's what we were created for anyways. We were created to worship and to love him and to be. Look, I've always said this. The fishes are happy when they're swimming in the sea. The birds, happiest when they're flying in the air. Us, happiest when we are worshiping our Heavenly Father, because that's what we're created for. But you have to spend time with them to be able to do that. So it's a great segue to my next point. Let's go. Point number three. Fasting is dedicating time to pray, silencing our spirit, and listening to the Lord. Fasting is dedicating time to pray, silencing our spirit, and listening to our Almighty Father. So fasting is work. It is. And it takes discipline, real discipline. I know because I've fasted before, and I'll share that in just a little bit. It requires complete and total dedication and attention. And you can almost, in the words of my pastor, and I love when he say this, guarantee, I guarantee, if the Lord has called you to fast, there is something that he wants you to do. There's something that he wants you to say. There's something that he wants you to hear. There's someone that he wants you to speak to. Or more than that, he wants to heal you. That's the other thing. That happens with fasting. We'll see that with Brother Elijah in just a minute. Let's take a a look at a couple examples. There's Brother Moses, who's one of my favorite, and then there's Brother Elijah, which is my pastor's favorite. So in Exodus, right around the 32nd chapter, we find the Israelites, what black people call doing the most. They were doing the most, the Israelites. So Moses was up in the mountain hanging out with God, and God said, I'm going to need you to go down there and check on your people because they are all over the place, right? Like that's, that's the story. That's where we pick up. Let's pick up in verse 32. Oh, um, let me say this. Forgive me. Let me. So what happens is Moses is back up and down the mountain, back up and down the mountain, has the tablets, throws the tablets. He's mad. He's all over the place. This is the third time. Verse, 30, uh, verse 12, he says, why should the Egyptians say he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the earth? Turn from your anger and change your mind about destroying people. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, who were your servants? You promised them yourself, saying, I will make your children become as many as the stars of the heavens, and I will give you all this land I have spoken about to your children. It will be theirs forever. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the things he said he would do to his people. For those of you who don't think prayer moves God or prayer moves God, there you go. Verse 14, I'll read it again. So the Lord changed his mind about the things he said he would do to his people. Moses had been in God's presence and he had heard from him. Not only did the Lord give him the Ten Commandments, but during those three times Moses fasted, he also changed and moved the heart of God. Somebody said that Moses was in God's presence so long that his face even looked different when he came. The Shekinah glory, or as the old black folks say, the Shekinah glory was all over him when he came down. God was moved because of the condition of Moses' heart, his posture, his obedience to fasting and praying. So while we're on the subject of hearing from God and moving his heart, I want to talk just for a few minutes about a subject that is very close to the hearts of us here at thenewcom.com. Race, racial justice, all of that stuff right? So here's the thing. I'm a black man, 47-year-old, who lives in America. 
And nobody wants racial justice more than I do. But here's the thing, and let me be very clear when I say this. Our pastor is not just talking words when he says that you cannot do justice without Jesus. Period. You have to have Jesus in order to bring real justice. We can have all the conversations we want to up in the green, the pink, the orange, whatever those rooms are upstairs. We can go to that fancy, you know, new lounge up there. We can, we can do all that. We can sit in circles. We can sing Kumbaya. We can do a couple of marches. We can have a few speeches. We can read books. But the sin of racism is age old. It's older than the 400 years that my folks got to these shores. And the devil has a chokehold on racism, and he will not let that thing go. And the only way that it will be broken is with fasting and prayer. That is the only way that is going to be broken. And if we don't do this as a church together, in five years we'll still be mad, looking like we've been chewing on marbles, because we're trying to figure out black folks are angry, white folks are confused, Asian folks are like, what do we do? And those who classify as others will just be looking around. Come on, new community. We have to do better than that. We have to do better than that. We have to be unified in our cause and our mission. God has called us to be a multicultural church. That means we work together as a multicultural community. And part of being a new community, a multicultural community, is praying and fasting together. That man is not preaching just for his health now. Y'all better start listening. I know I've made some folks mad. I'm going to keep going. Here, here's the thing. Let's talk about Brother Elijah for a second. So I'm going to set this up. Elijah easily was part of one of the greatest displays of God's supernatural power in the Bible. Would you not agree? Like, it was, it was pretty boss what happened up there on the mountain with the prophets of Baal. And you all know the story. I'm going to start where Elijah is having a conversation with his servant Obadiah. And Obadiah uh, says to Elijah, or Elijah tells Obadiah, Go tell Ahab that I will meet him. And Obadiah is like, mm, I don't know about that because I don't want to get killed. You know, Ahab has lost his mind right about now, and I don't want to do that. So this is where we pick up. This is 1 Kings 18, 16 through 20. Verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and then Ahab went to meet Elijah. So there's already a fight brewing. He said that he said that he said that he said, right? Verse 17. He said, when, when he saw Elijah, Ahab, he said, is that you? He said, is that you, trouble of Israel? Elijah had an attitude. I've not, made trouble for Israel. I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You know, so now they're starting to do this whole dance, right? And then Elijah says, you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the prophets of Baal. Now, summon the people from all over Israel and you meet me on Mount Carmel. That's exactly what he said. That has the makings of a movie, y'all. Go get your people. You go get your people. And y'all meet me on Mount Carmel. You know, like Elijah was that dude. Like he was kind of gangster like that. It was really kind of funny. So he says, let me go. Let me back up. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and you've followed the prophets of Baal. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, I don't know that Elijah would have done that if he didn't know or if he didn't think, if he didn't have a blessed assurance that he had all of heaven waiting at the ready. Right. When you fast and pray, y'all ain't hearing me now. 
Well, you know the rest of the story. All day long, the prophets of Baal screamed and they hollered and they yelled and they sang and they cut themselves and they threw themselves on the altar and they did all that mess. And then after they were done, the Bible says that Elijah had his servants repair the altars that had been torn down. <clears throat> he said, take the fire and the wood, drench it, soak it, soak all the altars. And he prayed this very simple prayer. He said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, this day, let it be known that thou art God, and I am your servant. Not particularly eloquent in speech, not fancy words. This day, let it be known that you are God. And the Bible said that fire fell from heaven and soaked everything up, burned the whole place up. But then what happened? What happened after that? Because Baal didn't set the uh, altar on fire. God did that. And as soon as he did, Queen Jezebel set out to kill Elijah for what he had done because she followed the prophets of Baal, or the god Baal. And being in the wilderness, I'm sorry, let me back up. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Elijah was driven out to the wilderness. Sometimes bring in, being in the wilderness will bring out all sorts of emotional and mental problems, right? In this desert place, if you will. Many of us are in the wilderness right now, and we've been suffering all sorts of habits destructive habits, emotional habits, physical habits. Some of these we were born into that we need to break away from and other we've developed over time and they have become unhealthy. But fasting and praying can break that. The Bible says that when Elijah was out in the wilderness, that God sent ravens to minister to him, to feed him. And in that place where he was fasting and praying, God ministered healing to him. Sometimes the Lord will call us on a fast to silence our spirit so we can be healed, to be healed. And there are many of us this morning that need to be healed, fasting and praying. This is a good word. Look, there are many reasons <clears throat> that the Lord has called us to fast, mainly for him to get his glory out of us. That is the main reason. But fasting is also harnessing the pain that will inevitably come our way as we try to obey God in the fallen world and leveraging the opportunity to hide in Christ, run to him for strength, and throw ourselves at the foot of his throne. Fasting is also a thing that sit, I'm sorry, fasting, we fast because sin has taken a toll on others. We fast as long as we're breathing and our sanctification is not yet complete. We fast because of natural disasters have ravaged the world and there's hunger. We fast because people die of starvation and thirst, lacking the basic necessities of life. We fast when cancer tears through the bodies of those that we love. We fast because the entire cosmos is groaning for redemption and reconciliation. And God wants us to bring that back to earth. That's why we fast. That's why we fast. Lord, you are so good and your mercy endures forever. Four quick points on what fasting is not. Let's talk about what fasting isn't. <clears throat> fasting is not for the spiritual elite or a certain sect of Christian, like radical charismatics, myself. Fasting is for everybody. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to fast. Stop playing around. My next point, fasting is not a tool to barter with God. God is not to be played with. Don't do that. In all of our limited wisdom, do we really think that we can fast to get something that doesn't align with God's will? No, that doesn't work. 
Third point, fasting is not about creating personal suffering and loss in order to teach ourselves we need God. We already know we need God, and he knows that too. Last one, and a really good point, fasting is not a diet. It's not, it's not because if you go in with that motive, within 25 minutes you'll have a Snickers. You will. Fasting is not a diet. <clears throat> Come on. I'm going to finish up here. Let's recap some of what fasting are and the benefits of fasting. First and foremost, fasting changes us. We will be changed from the inside out if we fast. Our spiritual lives will change. Our natural lives will change. The lives of those around us will change if we fast. Second point, fasting moves the heart of God. We saw with Brother Moses, we saw with Elijah. We have that same authority, that same power. Fasting moves the heart of God. My third point, fasting increases our spiritual capacity for him. You spend time in God's presence, you sacrifice, you give it up, the Lord will enlarge your heart and your territory for him. Fourth point, fasting breaks habits and destroys strongholds. I am literally an example of that. God does it. You fast, you have some things on your life, some strongholds, watch those strongholds be shattered and torn down. You fast. Number five, fasting quiets our noise so that we can hear the voice of the Lord. How long has it been since you've heard the voice of the Lord? For some of us, a very long time. A very long time. I want to speak to that point for just a second. Last month, Shane and I, and she doesn't mind when I use her as an example, we had that session with our breakout groups about listening to God. And we both felt a little off kilter, like it wasn't our best. We were both like, oh, it wasn't our best, it wasn't our best. But we both agreed in this, agreed on this point. You want to hear from God? Fast. Fast. My last point, and this is the best one. Fasting brings godly intimacy. Jesus is the lover of our souls, y'all. He is, I mean, literally, he is the lover of our souls. And he desires to be intimate with us. He's like, I just want to spend time with you. Can you just sit in my presence? Fasting brings godly intimacy. Why is the Lord speaking, us, speaking to us like this today? Well, I believe, as I said earlier in the sermon, because he's taking our church somewhere and he's requiring us to do some things, right? Today, for me, is day 30, 36 of a soon-to-be 40-day fast. Now, I know for some of you, like, wait a minute. Did that man just say he was fasting for 40 days? Yes. You heard me correctly. Yeah. So I was speaking to Ruth Nakai uh, last October, and I said, I believe that the Lord has called me to a holy fast. Now, for me, a holy fast is anything over seven days. I've been fasting since my late teens. I've fasted for years. And I've always believed and known the power of fasting. But never this long. CC, why did you fast this long? Well, for a few different reasons. One, because I had some prayer requests before the Lord. I did. I also wanted to fast for our church. As a leader, as someone who's on staff, as a brother, as a mentor, as a friend to many. I want to talk, I want to talk the walk. I want to do it. I want to be an example that God uses. 
And most of all, the reason that I fasted is because I love the Lord and I just wanted to be obedient when he asked me to. My beloved says that, <clears throat> that I have a grace to fast. It's kind of funny, but it's true. The Lord talk, uh, called me to the fast in October, but he didn't give me a date. So October turned into November. November turned into December. And on December 31st, the Lord says, you'll start to fast tomorrow. I was like, I'm ready. Like, what? Let's go. That's obedience. That's what that is. As we close, I want to share this picture with you. Take a look at this picture. That little guy sitting on the piano next to me, that is a one Nolan Kieran Tobby. The most handsome, perfect. He's not mine. He's not mine. He belongs to that tall drink of water, Matt Tobby and his beautiful wife, Tina. But ever since he was a young one, I've been really close to him. God just gave me a heart for Nolan. And as you can see in the picture, he's checking out Uncle Cece's keys because he's going to be a worship leader and he's going to be a singer. Sorry, Matt and Tina, he's not going to be a finance guy or a doctor. I know, I know. Seek the Lord about that. <clears throat> Anyways, the reason I show you the picture, besides the fact that it's really cute, is I have watched Matt with his beloved son over the years. And every time Matt calls Nolan, without question, he comes. Every time Matt asks Nolan to do something, without hesitation, Nolan does it. Every time Matt calls his son, he responds immediately. You know what that is? That's the love a father has for his child, or in his case, his son. That's how God desires to be with us. When the Lord called me to fast, without hesitation, immediately, I said yes. That's because I have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. I am his sheep. And I know his voice. And the Lord desires that for all of us today. We have to sacrifice. Fasting is sacrificing. We need to sacrifice. We need to. We need to. My prayer today, <clears throat> as we close, is that God, as God speaks to our church, about prayer and fasting and we go deeper. That each of you will be moved to a place that you have not been before. That the Spirit would speak to you right where you are, even right now. He would call you to a place of fasting where he will show you signs, miracles, and wonders and things about yourself you never knew. Second Chronicles, you all know that verse. My people who are called by my name, humble himself. <clears throat> God is waiting on the body of Christ to do just that. Our city, our nation, our world would not look the way it does if we would pray and fast as the body of Christ. That's what God is calling us to do. But it starts with us individually and collectively, each and every one of us. So may that be our prayer for all of us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word that has gone forth today. 
Thank you for the truth that you spoke about prayer and fasting. And Lord, I realize that there are those under the sound of my voice who have no idea what that means, what that looks like, what that is. And so God, I ask right now, Lord, that you would gently deal with their hearts. That you would move by the power of your Holy Spirit, O oh God. And that they would come to, that we would all come to a place of divine obedience where we will learn to sacrifice just as you sacrificed ultimately your life on the cross for us. As we come towards this season of Lent, would you give each of us a burning desire to give something up for you and to replace that with time in your word, time in your presence. Do that now, O oh God. Do it, Lord. Do it. And Lord, now I speak to new community as a whole. Would you continue to move by the power of your Holy Spirit in our church? Would you continue to bind us together in a spirit of unity and of love? May we walk hand in hand as we advance your kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love and we thank you for you are indeed our good Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.